Hey y'all, it's Janice. Welcome to the Dirty Diversity Podcast. This is a place where we will be exploring equity, racism, and diversity. I am a DEI consultant, educator, writer, and professor who strives to center my work around the liberation of Black folks globally. More specifically, I examine and unpack how we can create structures that support the most marginalized folks in the workplace. This is a podcast where I will share my thoughts on all things diversity, equity, inclusion, racism, anti-racism, and Black liberation. My goal is to stimulate your mind and shift you to think in a way that you've never considered before. This podcast will feature my thoughts as well as the perspectives of different folks doing related work. If you want to learn more, pick up my best-selling books, Dirty Diversity and The Pink Elephant, where I explore workplace equity in more detail. Thank you for listening. Hey, y'all. Jay Nice on the mic. I hope y'all are having an amazing, 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 or had rather, an amazing Mother's Day weekend. Um, My heart goes out to and I'm sending and holding space for folks who may not have the best relationships with their mothers. Their mothers are no longer here in their earthly bodies. Um, Mothers and those folks who are trying to conceive and, um, you know, a number of folks who may not have had the best Mother's Day. My heart goes out to you. And I am sending you all love and healing energy. Um, I hope that, you know, for the folks that were celebrating Mother's Day here in the U.S., that, you know, the day was um, the day was a good day regardless of the circumstances. So um, let's get into this episode. Um, before I dive in, let's go through some housekeeping items. So y'all know every Tuesday... I co-host a conversation on Clubhouse. I don't know, y'all. I don't know what the future of Clubhouse is because in the past week, I've been um, like seeing a lot of chatter about Clubhouse on LinkedIn, and I have been. I watched the creator of For Harriet um, of the platform For Harriet. I I, w- I listened to she she had a long YouTube video. I think it was like an hour long um, where she was talking about Clubhouse and how she kind of felt like it has fallen off. And um, as a non-early adopter, I got on Clubhouse in December. Um, So a lot of folks were already on. I don't think that makes me an early adopter. But as a like semi-early adopter, I have noticed differences in the app. Um, So I I mean, as long as my co-host is down to keep doing the uh, facilitating the conversations I'll be there but it seems like things are shifting a little bit on the app and I'm not sure if our voice and our energy is best spent on the app or if we could put our energy into like LinkedIn or Instagram or another social media platform so but until then you know I think we're, we're going to stay there for now I have all of the info about Clubhouse. And if you want to join our weekly conversations, I have all of that info in the show notes. 
Um, what else? Oh, so for those of you who enjoy listening to this podcast, um, it's really easy to write a review on iTunes if you listen on uh, Apple. Um, and I'm not sure if you can do it on Google Play, Spotify, but it helps others to find this podcast because I'm a one woman show. Um, so I would greatly appreciate it if y'all left a review. And um, also, if you are interested in getting um, my best selling books, I wrote two books on diversity in the workplace. One is called Dirty Diversity, the other is called The Pink Elephant. And super exciting news is so I have Google Alerts. Uh, set up so that if um, any articles or anything comes out using my name, the Google alerts will get sent straight to my phone um, or straight to my email rather. And so today I got a Google alert. And when I um, publish interviews, usually I get Google alerts because my name is used in the interview, right? When I'm interviewing someone. But today I got one and I was like, that's weird. I haven't done an interview lately and I opened my email and it was um, Target. So I'm really excited and a little bit baffled, but super excited to announce that the pink elephant is available now at Target. I don't even know how that happened, to be honest, um, but I'm with it. I'm down. Um, it's really exciting for me because, again, as y'all know or may not know, I am an independent author. I self-publish both of my books. I don't have a large publishing company behind me. So I think um, getting your book into larger re- retailers is a little bit more challenging than um, than what I would be experiencing if I had a publisher who knows the ins and outs. So I'm so, so, so excited to um, share that with you all. I'll leave a link if you're interested in grabbing it from Target. I am assuming Target may only ship to those within the U.S. Um, So if you are interested in grabbing my book, you can also buy it personally for me through my website um, where I um, will sign the book and just, you know, I write a little message in there um, to thank you for purchasing the book. So I'm really excited to announce that. You can't tell the excitement in my voice because it's late and I'm, I'm just, y'all know, I'll be recording these episodes late at night. Sometimes I'm pretty tired, but I'm super excited to um, to share that with you all. So um, what else, what else, what else? Um, I feel like that's all the housekeeping items for now. Um, I should have some exciting news about... Um, a course that will be available on my website. It's not yet ready, but it's it's brewing. And um, oh, last thing. So I have been under the illusion that I would record my second audiobook. So y'all know my second book, The Pink Elephant. Um, I have been putting off recording the audiobook, right? Not putting it off, but just life has gotten so busy so it's taken a back seat and um, I have been putting it off and putting it off and I just thought recently that I should find someone to do the audiobook for me rather than reading it in my voice because my my living situation has shifted a little bit so I don't actually have a quiet place like I did last year to record my audiobook anymore which has been a little bit challenging. So um, I really wanted to record it in my voice. I feel like it's really special when 
the author records it in their voice. You get all of the little like details read exactly as the author wants it to be read. But I don't know. I think if I just keep waiting, I'm just never going to do it. So I think I've decided I'm going to get someone to record the audiobook for me. So my goal is to have it available. Um, it would be really dope if I could have it available on my one year anniversary of my first book, which is on Juneteenth. So actually, that's the goal I'm going to aim for. I'm going to strive for that. Um, hopefully that can happen. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to see. Hopefully I can make some magic. I can make that magic happen. But um, so those are that's exciting news regarding the audiobook for The Pink Elephant. It's coming. It's coming. And then, of course, that should be available on my website. So that was a really long housekeeping, yo. Um, but let's get into this episode. I just wanted to talk about all of the recent backlash that has been happening regarding critical race theory. Yo, it's hilarious because, um, well, first of all, I wrote a whole article on the backlash that we've been seeing. So if you're interested in learning more about critical race theory, the origins, the backlash, check out the article. The link is in the show notes. So I'm sure that recently you've all been hearing politicians and such talking about, talking more about critical race theory. You know, we've been hearing um, that a lot of states are pushing through bills that would ban the teaching of critical race theory. And um, critical race theory, or CRT, which is how I will be referring to it in this episode, is essentially just this idea that um, structures and systems within the U.S. are impacted by race, and that race helps to shape structural and systemic inequality. So it's essentially, it was a framework that was developed by... um, a number of folks, one of which included Kimberly Crenshaw, who is the scholar, academic, activist that coined the term intersectionality. Um, but Kimberly Crenshaw and um, a number of other folks um, developed critical race theory, um, and it was really how race impacts the law and our legal system. And has it has since been expanded to include or or rather to help us understand and look at the systems and structures of our country through a racialized lens and essentially understanding the role that race has played in shaping people's experiences um, within the systems and structures of which we live. So um, that's pretty much what critical race theory is. So it's teaching, you know, teaching people about the origins of the country and teaching people about how every system and structure was founded on white supremacy in the U.S. and, of course, you know, beyond in England and France and all of these countries. Um, But that's a whole nother episode. But how every system and structure here within the U.S. is racism is embedded into these systems and structures. And as you can imagine, there is a lot of white folks, white politicians, and and black black politicians as well, who um, don't believe 
in critical race theory, don't believe in the racist origins of our country, don't believe that the country is currently racist. Last week or two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we actually um, heard that Tim Scott, who is the um, the only black Republican in the Senate, um, he stated that America is not a racist country. And we saw Kamala Harris and Joe Biden essentially echo um, pretty much what Tim Scott said and say that they don't believe America is a racist country. And what you see, what we're seeing is a lot of folks are trying here in the U.S. to rewrite history. And I hope that this is still an informative episode for for you lovely listeners who are listening from outside of the U.S. because I know that this podcast has folks listening from Canada and from different countries around the world. Um, but I'm speaking specifically to here in the U.S. But in my article, um, I mentioned how the critical race theory backlash or CRT backlash is being seen outside of the U.S. We see in, in England, in France, in Australia. Um, so it's not just here in the U.S., but I'm most familiar and understanding with the backlash that's taking place um, in the country in which I live. So I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned that. But um, I think that it's really interesting. And I think that the backlash that we're seeing regarding CRT um, is like what you would call, it's the psychological term, which is the illusion of truth effect. And I'm going to read y'all the definition of what that is. So um, the illu- the illusory truth effect, also known as the illusion of truth effect, uh, validity effect, truth effect, or the reiteration effect is the tendency to believe false information to be correct after repeated exposure. The first condition is logical as people compare new information with what they already know to be true. So I think that what a lot of these Republicans, conservatives, white folks um, are scared of is this idea that what they do not believe to be true, which is the racist origins of our country, will end up becoming a part of our truth and something that we discuss more because of repeated sort of discussion. So um, let me explain that because I know that was a little jumbled. So what we saw after the murder of George Floyd is that there has been in every sector in the industry, there have been these continued conversations about racism in, in healthcare, in medicine, in, you know, I did a workshop for a theater um, a theater design, a group of theater design folks who essentially make costumes for um, TV shows and for movies. And, you know, so we're literally seeing discussions in every industry, fashion, every industry you can imagine, people are, are talking about anti-racism, anti-racism this, anti-racism that. So um, what that has led to is what Carol Anderson, in Carol Anderson's book, um, what is it called? White Rage. I think it's called White Rage. Um, in, in that book, Carol Anderson discusses something called White Lash, which is essentially what happens when there's any sort of black progress. And I, I think that following the murder of George Floyd, what I would deem as progress is that there have been there's been this spike in conversations about anti-blackness. 
white supremacy, anti-racism, more so than what we've seen ever, you know, before in our lives, in our lifetimes. And because of this, there is a white lash where white people um, and a lot of non and a lot of people of color who feel like uh, their proximity to whiteness will grant them some sort of um, safety or, you know, or privileges by aligning themselves with whiteness. What we're seeing is a lot of people um, pushing back and saying, we don't want, you know, anti-racism and and uh, CRT to be taught to our kids because we don't believe that this country is racist because admitting that this country is racist means that white people will have to take a honest evaluation of ways that they currently play into systems of oppression that benefit them and there is a lack of people don't want to take accountability and say I've contributed to all of us are um, all of us have blood on our hands and all of us have contributed to these inequitable and white supremacist systems and white people don't want to take a take accountability um, there's the the fragility a lot of fragility that we're seeing where a lot of white folks are like you know we don't we don't want to take ownership this is not the, these are not the sins the sins of my fathers my forefathers are not the sins of me is essentially the mindset that a lot of these white folks have and sorry y'all I'm cracking my knuckles um and so we're seeing this white lash um and you know I think that that's come in the form of um, criticism and sort of this pushback and backlash against CRT and more specifically CRT being taught in schools. CRT gives an understanding of, gives us an understanding of not just how white people continue to profit off of and co- contribute to an anti-black, white supremacist, racist system, but also how all of us play into these systems. So I think that there people just don't want to admit that our country is racist AF and that we continue to be racist AF. And um, so I think that that's essentially where the backlash is stemming from. And, you know, people said, well, you know, there's a lot of people saying, um, if our country is so racist, why was Obama able to be president? Why do we have Oprah? Why do we have Michelle Obama? Why do we have Beyonce? And I want to say progress, slow progress has been made. Um, you know, we've, of course, seen more representation since the civil rights era, but representation is not progress. You know, essentially representation is a step in the right direction. But if there are people of color and black people and indigenous people in more positions of power, but they're still aligning with and upholding whiteness, then that to me is just a sort of regurgitation of a white supremacist system. That's not progress, essentially. So I think that while representation is, visibility is important and matters from the standpoint of in order for me to understand what I'm capable of achieving, 
it's important for me to be able to see others who are in positions of power and privilege. However, we can't conflate um, we can't conflate representation with progress. And I think that that's something important that we have to make sure that we are understanding of and are, and are aware of. And, um, you know, James Baldwin has this quote that I love where he said, I love America more than any other country in the world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. And I feel the same way about the U.S. I was born here. I was raised here. Um, my parents immigrated here from a um, a country that was pillaged of their resources, Cameroon, France, England, Portugal, and other folks um, in European countries came in, invaded, colonized, pillaged, took all of the wealth, the resources, stripped the people of their identities, their culture, their language, their religion. And I think that that has had such a detrimental effect on the people now. And the people of Cameroon are still grappling with and and trying to bounce back from everything that was done to them as a people. So I find that there's a lot of trauma and harm within these countries that have been colonized um, that still lingers. And I can say that as a person who is a first generation or my parents immigrated here, I love America. And I, because I love America, as James Baldwin said, I insist on my right to criticize America because I feel like you can love the country that you live in and also recognize and acknowledge that there, the country's broken and that there's so many places where the country can be and must be improved. And so I think that that's also important to recognize and acknowledge that people think it's un-American or unpatriotic to um, verbalize and vocalize our disdain for certain aspects of this country. You know, I don't hate America, um, but I do feel like America is has we haven't healed from our past transgressions. And the fact that we keep running from history makes me feel like we'll never learn from the dark past um, that has occurred here in this country. Um, what does give me some sort of solace and you know, Angela Davis was asked in an interview if she's optimistic, and she said, um, I have no choice but to be optimistic. I think because I do this work, I'm just a hopeful and optimistic person by nature. That's just, I've always been like that. I've always been really, really hopeful and just try, try to see things on the upside of life. Um, but what really gives me hope is um, the fact that social media exists. And I think that revolutions have been started through social media and social media is what's really, what I believe is what's really going to change and, re and revolutionize our world. Um, I think we have access to s more people than we've ever, ever 
had before than what has ever been humanly possible. So I think that change will come. And I am I'm happy that we live in a world where even though censorship occurs and they are trying to censor our voices, I don't think that they can dim our light. And I, I don't think that, I think that um, in the words of, I believe it was Fred Hampton who said, you know, you can kill you can kill the man, but you can't kill a movement. And I think in the same way, you can kill, you know, you can kill the person, but you can't kill um, the revolution. And you can't kill an idea. And once an idea is free and out into the world, it cannot be stopped. And um, yeah, I just, I, I just, I really feel like social media is what's, pushing these conversations and what will push these conversations forward um no matter how much these conservatives and the and these folks try to censor the conversations on crt um so you know i i i think we have to keep having these conversations and not allowing ourselves to be silenced we have to lean on each other as as communities i try to amplify the voices of of folks who are talking that knowledge. I love to see what these kids are doing on TikTok and on YouTube. Um, it's really amazing to see what these folks are doing. Um, I recommended this book before, but a really, really great book I'm reading is called We Do This Till We Free Us. Um, another book I would recommend is called We Will Not Cancel Us by Adrian Marie Brown. There's so many books on my list and I'm taking a Oh, let me tell y'all now, I'm taking a little break in July, hiatus, um, and my goal is to read every single day of the 30 day, 31 days in July, because I don't get to read as much as I want, and I just want to lay out, lay on the beach, relax, see friends, get grab brunch in New York City, just, you know, live my best life. Um, and I want to do that and just read. So I am so excited about that. Um, but I, I want to try to make some more book recommendations because there's so many books on my list that I'm really excited about reading. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I don't really know where we go from here, but I'm going to continue to acquire knowledge and and use my voice in every way I can. I really think my my pen is my superpower. Um, I think that writing is the gift that God has blessed me with, uh, an ability to write, to put words to paper in a way that resonates with people. And I'm really, really like eternally grateful to be able to do that because I love to write. It's my my first love. Um, so, you know, I think that it's important for us to use our power and our voice in any way that we're able to do that. And for me, I would say that writing is one of the ways that I have been able to do that. So our voice is our power. So I want us to just keep using whatever tools are available to us um, in order to create change. So that is where I'm going to leave today's episode off. Thank y'all so much for listening um, to this week's episode. Drop me a line, shoot me a DM, slide in my DMs. I am, I live mostly on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, so, you know, catch up with me on there. 
And um, I will check y'all out in the very next episode of the Dirty Diversity Podcast.